Good morning, Christ City. My name is Justin. I serve as one of the pastors here. And today, uh, I have to begin with a confession. I like things to be a certain way. Okay? I like things to be a certain way. And I have a reason for most of the things I like a certain way. Bathroom products in high order. Toothpaste squeezed from the bottom. Toilet paper over. Okay. Now, I know that other people have other ways of doing this, but I like my books in alphabetical order in terms of author, unless it's the church library, in which case it's in, by theme and then uh, in alphabetical order. I fold my clothes in a particular way. My button-up shirts are hung up in color uh, order. Uh, and like I said, there, there's usually a reason for why I like things to be a certain way. It's accessibility. I know where to go to get what I want when I need it. Uh, it's bringing order to chaos. There's so much chaos in the world, y'all. It's just, you know. Now, in my liking of things a certain way, the years between 2006 and 2009 and 2012 and 2014 stand out as glory years. Those were the years I was single and I lived on my own. (laughs) Any mess I made was mine, and any organization I established remained. (laughs) Now, though, uh, I have a spouse, I have a dog, and I have two kids, each of whom brings their own disruption and chaos, including one who pooped in the bathtub the other night. It was not Carolyn. Thank God. <laughs> now, now, let me be clear. All of them are blessings from the Lord. Happy Mother's Day, Carolyn. <laughs> but the, there's a, the part of me that likes things a certain way doesn't always experience them as a blessing. Now, you may be wondering how, how, how people live with so much structure or, or you may right now be cataloging all of the things that you catalog. Uh, the fact is we all like things to be a certain way. It's just a matter of what those things are, right? The things that, however, subconsciously help us feel like we have some control. It might be as simple as how you stack a dishwasher, or it might be as grand as, as the causes or convictions that drive and motivate you, what you believe about God or what you believe about justice or the worth of people. When we like things to be a certain way, where that encounters the most challenge is when other people get involved. I think about those single years living on my own. In many years, in many ways, they were glory years because I didn't have to deal with someone challenging my presuppositions and my preferences. Just before I met Carolyn, I came to the sobering realization that the person I was looking for, looking to to be a life partner to, was essentially me but a woman. She would like all of the same things that I did. She would have the same personality and temperament. She'd have traveled all the same places and enjoyed the same experiences and loved the same food. I wanted someone who could fit into my life without me having to change anything. Right? I was approaching dating as a consumer. Checking off my criteria, and the moment that somebody didn't meet one of them, well, I just moved on to the next person. 
Now, of course, we should have standards, right? Of course, there are criteria that we're looking for. There are our dreams. There are dreams we long to live out. There are stories we long to tell with our lives. There are things that we should hold on to with a with firmness of purpose. But we all like things to be a certain way. We can be the same way with church, can't we? We like things to be a certain way. And for the most part, we have reasons why we want those two things to be that way. It might be about music. It might be about the preaching or how the church engages in mission or advocacy. It might be about who is in the church, about what it looks like and who's represented. It might be related to any number of conscious core convictions that we hold, as well as any traumas and unconscious triggers we carry from growing up in the church or from the church's complicated and ugly history and even present or how Christians have not sounded or looked or acted like the Jesus they claim to be following. And so let me ask this question. What kind of church do you want to be part of? What would the church you would want to be part of look like? I want you to consider that. I want you to hold that as I keep going. We're in week three of our series on living the resurrection, where we're considering how we experience the resurrection of Jesus in our everyday lives as as individuals and as a community of faith. And we're doing this through the lenses of Christ City's core values, the things we are consciously choosing to embody and emulate as signs of God's kingdom and characteristics of Jesus. Justice, inclusion, presence, prayer, and creativity. Last week, Pastor Andrea preached from Acts 6 about justice, And this week I'm talking about inclusion. Now, inclusion is a term you may already be familiar with in the the context of what's called DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Here are a couple of definitions of inclusion from a couple of universities. Uh, University of Washington, being welcoming to all people regardless of race, ethnicity, sex, gender identity, age, abilities, and religion, where everyone is valued, respected, and able to reach their full potential. University of Michigan, where differences are welcomed, different perspectives are respectfully heard, and where every individual feels a sense of belonging and inclusion. Now, if you were to put yourself into each of those statements, you would understand the inclination for inclusion, right? Do you want a place where you are and feel respected, where you belong, and where you're able to participate, where you are valued and welcomed, where you are heard? I think all of us would say, yeah. Because inclusion is about more than just superficial diversity. It is about the deeper desire to belong. And moreover, inclusion, as we as Christians understand it, it's, it's, it's more than just a societal trend that we're hitching our wagon to. There's a word in the New Testament, philoxenia. Philoxenia. It is often translated in English as hospitality. But it is a concept less concerned with you know, hosting meals for friends or being nice to folks that you know, its direct translation is love of stranger. Love of stranger. And for us as Christ City, inclusion is just this, practicing kingdom hospitality, which shows love to strangers and offers a place at God's table to all who want to partake, regardless of race, ethnicity, and culture relational status, sexual orientation, and gender identity or expression, socioeconomic status and educational attainment, native Washingtonians, transplants, and those just here for a season. And it all starts with Jesus, 
in God's kingdom. The, the welcome and inclusion of God is a thread that's woven throughout Scripture from the very first chapters in Genesis where God seeks out Adam and Eve even after their disobedience. All throughout this book of Acts that we're in, in this series, to the very last pages where people from every nation, tribe, and tongue come together to worship God. Resurrection inclusion asks us to cultivate welcome for others in the same way that Christ has welcomed us. Also, Every person is made in the image of God. That's Genesis 1. God so loved the world, including every person in it. That's John 3. God desires that all would come to know God and God's life and that none would perish. That's 1 Timothy 2 and 2 Peter 3. The multicultural worship vision of Revelation 7 I just mentioned, that's where we're headed. And the Apostle Paul talks about us as members of the body of Christ, indispensable to one another. That's Romans 12. That's where we are now. As I said, our value of inclusion is not just a fad. It's rooted in the very character and nature of God. It's seeded throughout the pages of the Bible. And if you want to know a bit more of the why, let me encourage you to go back and listen to our series back in 2020 called The Welcoming Kingdom. We talk about the why of inclusion over a whole month. We'll include a link in the podcast notes if you want to go back and check that out. But I want to spend the rest of my time on the how of inclusion, the how of inclusion, because the challenge is always how you live it out, how we put what we believe into practice. What does it look like to not just say, I need you to understand more of God, but, but how do I live that out? We do need each other. Diversity is not just nice to have. We actually miss out on the breadth and the beauty of the glory of God at work in each of our lives when we don't get to see and hear and learn from one another. How God reveals God's self to us across our differences and in our differences and through our differences. That's part of our discipleship. Scott Peck was a psychiatrist who became a Christian in his later years. And one of the models he developed was for a cycle of community making or the stages of community making. I think it's instructive for us because we all want somewhere to belong, don't we? We all want somewhere to call home, somewhere we're known, somewhere we can be ourselves, somewhere we can invite those we love and care about. Now, belonging is not solely about church, obviously, but the church definitely needs to consider belonging in community because community is one of those things that churches overpromise and underdeliver on a lot of the time. I think this framework from Scott Peck will be helpful for us as we pursue inclusion at Christ City. So here's the bigger uh, four, four stages, and, and as I read through each one, we'll be able to zoom in on it. Stage one is called pseudo-community. Pseudo-community. This is where we're faking it. Not consciously, but it's about pleasantness. It's about avoiding conflict and disagreement. It's about ignoring it, what happens here is ignoring, minimizing, or not acknowledging difference. It's speaking in generalities, what uh, the Nigerian writer Chimamande Adichie would call the single story, where you assume that your story is true for everybody, or that one story is true of everybody. That's pseudo-community. In order to move beyond pseudo-community, the next step, stage two, is Chaos. Peck says this centers around well-intentioned but misguided attempts to heal and convert. 
I like things a certain way, obviously, and I have a reason for that, so you should understand that this is the right way to do things. That's crazy. But this is an essential part of community development. This is where the differences come out into the open. This is where we reveal and, and embody our desire to see our own methods or our own agenda, whether we want to see them win or just become normal, because they're normal for us. Peck would say, still, fighting is better than pretending you're not divided, or you're not different. The next step, most crucial stage, emptying. Paul says the emptying stage. This is where the hard work of leaving expectations and preconceptions, leaving our prejudices, even our ideologies, our theologies, and our solutions. Not, Not that we shouldn't think about those things, but the way that we think about them, that my way is the only way to think about it. We have to leave some of that. We need to leave our need to heal, convert, fix, and solve. We need to leave our need to control we need to discern what God is building up and what God is asking you to die to. There is no way to community except through empty. There is no way to community except through our sharing of our brokenness. And this stage is so hard sometimes that it is tempting to flee back to stage one, pseudo-community, where we just avoid conflict. We just hang out next to each other. We never talk to each other. But if we work through it, we will arrive at stage four, true community, where conflict is not avoided, not minimized, it is resolved. In true community, we have the ability to hold and cultivate space for genuine vulnerability and authenticity. In true community, disagreement and conflict happen, but they are loving, they are respectful, sometimes even peaceful and hopeful. We are working hard to listen well to each other, where it's not just about who's right and who's wrong, but what are we building together? That's inclusion. That's what we're aiming for. Now, I don't know who needs to hear this, but in the kind of multi-church that we are and that we're trying to, be, trying to become, multi-ethnic, multi-class, multicultural, multi-generational, everyone feels a little bit out of place. Okay? No one feels completely at home. I don't even feel completely at home. And I've been here since the beginning of the beginning. Everyone has wondered whether they belong, whether they're truly seen, whether they can express themselves fully and authentically. Let me normalize that. Let me tell you that you are not an anomaly for wondering that or for considering finding a place that feels less stretching. Multi-church is so much more stretching because there are so many more differences to navigate. So many more presuppositions that we have to pick apart and, and, and pull apart. The story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, it offers some very tangible ways, I think, to move toward inclusion, toward true community. And in the time that's left to me, I'm going to name seven. So buckle up. Acts 8, verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. At noon, take the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. The first practice is make space to listen to the Spirit. How do you hear from God? Perhaps in prayer, perhaps through others, perhaps through a divine sense. How are you 
in your life, in your, in your schedule, making space and time to pay attention to God. Especially when the instruction from God doesn't seem like the most logical thing to do. God tells Philip to go to a road in the wilderness. In the first few years of our existence as Christ City, we have discerned and stepped into a posture of full inclusion on human sexuality. We've transitioned lead pastors. We've addressed race and welcome. We have audited ourselves so that we can face hard truths. Uh, A church growth consultant would probably tell us to calm down a little bit on the hard things. But each of those things was discerned through prayer, through conversation, through divine senses, to be the leading of the Spirit. And so, here we are. Philip was making time and space to listen to God, and God told him to go hang out on a desert road. And so he did. Meanwhile, an Ethiopian man was on his way home from Jerusalem, where he had come to worship. He was a eunuch and an official responsible for the entire treasury of Candace. Candace is the title given to the Ethiopian queen, like Caesar is for the Roman emperor. The eunuch was reading the prophet Isaiah while sitting in his carriage, and the spirit told Philip, approach this carriage and stay with it. Running up to the carriage, Philip heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. So in those days, many written texts actually didn't have punctuation. And so you would have to read aloud in order to get a sense of what was happening. Practice two is, take time to see people. Take time to see people. Luke, the author of of Acts, gives us this information about the person that God leads Philip to. And God is, uh, unsurprisingly, quite intentional. The Ethiopian is a Gentile, a non-Jew. He's a foreigner. He is a sexual minority, one who had been castrated in order to serve in a position of great power and influence. He was also a God-fearer. He was a God-seeker. It says he was on his way back from Jerusalem where he had gone to worship. And he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And yet, because of the particularities of his identity as a eunuch, he would not be able to convert to Judaism because he could not be circumcised. Indeed, the law of Moses was very clear in Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, that eunuchs were forbidden from even entering the assembly of the Lord. He was one longing to enter in, but always kept on the outside, never fully included. And yet the God who sees saw him, sent a messenger to offer a listening ear and a word of hope. So who is it that God is inviting you to see, to listen to, especially one who may be on the outside, seeking God but struggling to find their place? uncertain of their belonging. Practice three, have the courage to take risks. Philip goes up to this eunuch and he says, do you really understand what you're reading? Now, it would be a bold move to to approach a powerful official. After all, only one who was high up could afford to have a carriage with a driver and ask such a question. Who knows how the, the, the man would have responded? With anger and such presumption? with rejection and rebuff? It is a risk to make the first move with a person, to ask something of them that, that, that may, they, they may not appreciate. 
It is a risk to participate in and to invest in and to commit to building inclusive community. In a multi-church, there is a pretty much 100% chance that toes will be trodden on, that hurt will happen, that we will be disappointed and disillusioned at points in the process. 100%. But I'm reminded of the words of C.S. Lewis, who said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung, possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Love is what God calls us to, isn't it? Love is not love without risk. Practice four, be humble enough to learn. This is for all of us. Think about this from the perspective of the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, one way of us looking at him is as someone on the outside of the Jewish community, which he was, but another way of seeing him is from his own perspective as a powerful official with great authority and learning. As the secretary of the treasury, he held tremendous influence. He must have been extremely smart. And yet, just like everyone else on the planet, including you and me, he doesn't know everything. Just like everyone else on the planet, including you and me, he had some things to learn. Verse 31, the man replied, without someone to guide me, how could I? Then he invited Philip to climb up and sit with him. They read the passage from Isaiah and he asks questions. Acknowledging that we are still and that we will always be on the journey of becoming is hard in the age we live in, where it can seem like we have to have it all figured out, or, or, or that we can't make mistakes since they'll be recorded on some digital format forever. Or maybe just because we don't like not being good at things. And yet what it means to be becoming is that we always have things to learn. We always have things to learn. We will always have things to learn. And acknowledging that in humility is the first step. In the context of inclusive community, we will not always get it right. We, will, we cannot know everybody's story fully. We will make mistakes. So let us be humble enough to learn and to apologize and forgive with the measure we would want extended to us. Practice five, stay committed to Jesus above all else. This one's pretty important. Verse 35, starting with that passage, that passage of Isaiah that, that, that the eunuch was reading, Philip proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. As I said, our value of inclusion is because of Jesus. We seek to center everything we do on Jesus, and not just by stamping Jesus on everything, but by doing as Jesus would if he were in our place, by displaying the character of Jesus in everything, grace and truth, the, the justice and mercy, whether we're in community or on our own. The good news of Jesus is what we're pointing to. The, the person of Jesus is who we are pointing to. 
We're seeking ever and always to, to, to become the kind of people that folks encounter and they say, I think that's what Jesus would look like. I think that's what Jesus would do. I think that's how Jesus would do it. Proclaim the good news of Jesus with your words and with your life. Verse 36, as they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, water, what will keep me from being baptized? He ordered that the carriage halt. Both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water where Philip baptized him. Practice six, be vigilant to identify and remove barriers to God's liberation. Be vigilant to identify and remove barriers to God's liberation. It's important for us to acknowledge the things that keep people from God and then to do what we can to resolve those situations. Ask who's suffering. Ask who's in need. Ask who's hurting. Ask who is marginalized. Ask who's on the outside. Ask who is unseen, who is not at the table. See people and see their context. Luke includes the story of the Ethiopian eunuch because of all of who he was and all of the things that would have kept him as a second-class citizen in the community of faith. The Ethiopian eunuch knew about the Deuteronomy 23 prohibition. It kept him from full inclusion. And yet through the witness of Philip, he was brought into the new community of faith, fulfilling the words of Isaiah 56, just a few chapters on from where he had been reading. I imagine him continuing to read after he had been baptized, after Philip went on his way. Isaiah 56, verses 3 to 5, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial, and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. To the one who could not even enter the assembly of the Lord, a memorial within the temple. To the one who was excluded, a name better than sons and daughters, an everlasting bond closer than any family. This is why we seek inclusion for all who have been excluded. Especially on the the basis of gender or race or sexual orientation. Theologian Willie Jennings writes, God has come for the eunuch precisely in his difference and exactly in the complexities of his life. He matters, not not because he is close to worldly power and thus a more appealing pawn. He simply matters. And he is being brought close. He will no longer be far from home. That's right. That's what the inclusion of God's kingdom is about. That as many as want to will be welcomed home. I know there are people here today who need to hear that you matter. Not because of what you can do or what you know, or who you know, or where you work. You simply matter. And you are being brought close. You will no longer be far from home in the embrace of God. Hear that now. Hear that 
today. God is near to the brokenhearted. You are welcome here. Last verse, last practice. When they came up out of the water, the Lord's spirit suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Practice seven, celebrate the work of God. Celebrate the work of God. There's always more to do on the journey of inclusion because there will always be people seeking and being kept from God. But let us not, in our rightful prophetic zeal, to point out how much more we still have left to do because there is always more. Let us not neglect to celebrate with rejoicing what God has already done and what God is doing. That's a muscle to exercise, to celebrate, to name the things that we see progress on, to celebrate steps in the right direction, to celebrate conflicts resolved patiently and caring, to celebrate spaces held for vulnerability and honest sharing, to celebrate when someone realizes that they can come back to God. The way is open. That nothing can separate them from the love of God. The question I asked at the beginning was, what kind of church do you want to be part of? I think a better question is, how will you help to form the kind of church you want to be part of? In the words of author Octavia Butler, all that you touch, you change. And all that you change, changes you. Unlikely things happen among unlikely people in unlikely ways and places when the Spirit of God is at work, including roads in the wilderness, seemingly random encounters, the work of building community, of having the certain ways we like things challenged, of allowing God's Spirit to form not just us as individuals, but all of us together as a community into the likeness of Jesus, that will be hard. We have to go through the tunnel of chaos. We have to go through the work of emptying to get from pseudo-community to true community if we want to get there. Sometimes you'll have to clean up the mess someone left in the bathtub. Someone else's mess. Sometimes you'll have to clean up someone else's mess. But God is in the work of building the beloved, inclusive community. That's where love is. That's where home is. That's where joy is. That's where hope is. That's where home is. Why would we want to be anywhere else? Would you pray with me?